Welcome to the Chosen Brew podcast. I'm your host, Ian McNally, and this is the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. In this episode, I was speaking with Dermot Dowling, who is from Beer Co. You'll find out who Beer Co is very shortly, but Dermot was an absolute pleasure to talk to, and we recorded this one on a Saturday night. So uh, cheers for Dermot for supplying some uh, beautiful beers. It's not too common to be drinking beers while doing a podcast, but it was Saturday night, so I enjoyed it very much. In truth, I could have talked to Dermot for hours. This is an abridged version. Let's get into it. Well, welcome to The Chosen Brew. Thank you very much, Ian. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Dermot, first off, tell us uh, who you are, where you're from, uh, why you're on the podcast. Excellent. Well, um, my name's Dermot Dowling. I'm um, founder and managing director of beerco.com.au. So um, I've got, a, with, as the name of the business suggests, an interest in beer. Um, we don't sell beer. We uh, sell brewing supplies, malt, hops, yeast, uh, equipment, and brewing aids, Um I saw, and I've listened to your podcast, I love it, I think it's an awesome um, addition to the Good Beer Radio that's out there, um, and I saw your note on the Facebook saying, uh, we're looking for a string of guests, and uh, you know, being a narcissist, could, and being a lover of beer, couldn't help myself, but <laughs> <laughs> offered my kind services, and you're a gentleman, and said, yeah, please come along, and uh, we'll do a podcast together. Yeah, no, I'm really excited, because uh, my message was asking for a... Um, you know, a diversity of guests. You know, we've had lots of diverse uh, guests and people around from around and in the industry. Yes. And um, so I'm excited today because uh, what you deal with is uh, essentially uh, supplying the means to make beer. Correct. Now, that means uh, you can basically uh, serve underage. Is that, well, is that what is the front Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. That's a good question. There's probably, um, I don't know what the laws are on how old you have to be to brew. And um, I hope there's no officers of the law listening because I did start brewing uh, below legal drinking age in New Zealand <laughs> many decades ago. But, um, yeah, we supply uh, malt hops and yeast, and it is legal to brew your own beer in Australia. It's illegal to distill, um, but it's still done. Um, and I don't think there's an age restriction, um, but I'm pretty sure all of our customers are above legal drinking age. Yeah, that, That's good to hear, Dermot. Yeah, uh, yeah. You're a responsible man. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, you sell these raw materials, essentially, Correct. to make yeah. beer. Yeah. Now, I kind of sense that, you know, all these amazing wonderful beers that we have to drink in a bar or in go to the bottle shop very few of us actually stop and think of the raw materials needed to make these wonderful beers but that's your whole industry isn't it exactly and it's a it's fascinating that's what's really you know does get me excited um in addition to the beer which is an amazing thing in the process of brewing Behind that, under each of the different verticals, whether it's malt or whatever, there's a huge amount of, um, uh, there's almost, the malting process is like the brewing process before uh, the brewing process. And then with uh, hops, there's the whole agronomics of growing hops and the selection of hops. With yeast, there's the massive array of yeast, you know, there's yeast all around us, yeast in um, the atmosphere here in the bar, we could culture yeast off the side of the plants um you know that's amazing and the science and everything and then um really with beer there is no limits the great thing is um it's such a versatile beverage 
So now we're seeing, and with particularly with craft beer, um, a host of awesome things being added and used in beer. So you know everything you find in the kitchen pantry or in your local supermarket or greengrocers, brewers are experimenting with. Um, so you know it's 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 wonderful. If you like food or you like um, beer, you would certainly love exploring. You know malt and how it's made and hops and where they come from, yeast and um, how to isolate it. Um, and of course, water is a big component, and then you know the rest of it we call adjuncts. But uh, yeah, that's a huge world of, of uh, learning as well. So, uh, tell us a little bit about um, the history of homebrewing, because yep. dare I say, when you say the word homebrew to yeah. your average person yeah. on the street, good call. There's quite a negative image, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. like the uncle in the bath. True. Actually, yeah. in the bath, making, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. making, a brew, making this rocket fuel, which is True. very unsophisticated, unrefined, yeah. and True. it's very cheap. Yeah, yeah, good call. So um, I think that's the stigma that's attached to home brewing per se, and I've heard friends of mine who are um, home brewers say, you know, let's stop even using the word home brewing and just refer to ourselves as brewers because we're all brewers. But that a lot of... Um, drinkers um, have had bad homebrew experiences and that really comes down to sanitation and cleanliness nine times out of ten so if you start with good raw materials um, and you follow the process and the brewing process is very simple every brewer will tell you you can make good beer in a plastic bucket um, you of course make much better beer if you use all the professional equipment um, but what was happening in the early days is people didn't understand sanitation and the importance that you need to clean everything, rinse it, and then sanitise it. And particularly once the the boiling process of the brewing process is finished and you've, you're effectively moving into the cold side, so fermentation and bottling and kegging and that, people were... Um, we're not clean, sterile and sanitary um, in their brewing process and you were getting infections. Now, in the commercial industry, you know, that's totally unacceptable and commercial brewers would never let a beer out um, of their brewery unless it was um, 100% clean and infection-free. But in the home brewing, that, and that's something that has really taken a lot of time. But, uh, you know, you can now taste home brew uh, from good home brewers and you would be blown away by how good the quality is. It can be equally as good, if not better, than uh, commercial beer because it's fresh and they have the same ingredients and very good equipment to use. Yeah, I think that's very true and very surprising when you have. And there's been uh, quite a few people in the local scene in Melbourne who have actually as home brewers have made that leap to professional True. because yep. the home brew is simply at a professional level. It's so good. Yes. Um, that said, um, do you ever deal with the um, problem where you have customers who perhaps brew, so let's say, an average beer, yeah. but they're so excited that they've made something that they bring it in and they say, try this, and you've got to try it in front of them, and it's, it's yeah. not great. But uh, people who make home brew do want to share it and watch people drink true yeah i think that's the thing we always encourage our customers to do is to join a club uh, because um it's hard to get that feedback from friends because if they're giving their friends free beer they're always going to say it's great um (laughs) and uh they need to have people with trained palates so in a homebrew club they'll enter competitions and they'll get that feedback quite brutally on a score sheet um there are a lot of professional brewers who started as home brewers, um, and they have that skill of experimentation and having a shot and having a crack and breaking the rules. Um, but the really, really outstanding commercial brewers add to their home brewing knowledge by going on and doing the science and the qualifications. But probably some of the you know Australia's best craft brewers were home brewers, and then you know they've either gone to university in addition to um, 
to brewing. But yeah, we always encourage our customers to bring the beers. We've had people bring in beers that have won um, in American competitions and, and that are really good. Um, I think the nine out of ten home brewers want to be a pro brewer <laughs> and uh, they don't realise that being a commercial craft brewer is you know 90% business, 90% cleaning, 10% brewing. Um, so you know we don't we don't want to shatter anyone's dreams, but we encourage people just to enjoy the craft because it's like if you love you love being a chef and you love cooking at home and making amazing things and you watch Master Chef, that doesn't mean you're going to be a Neil Perry or a um, Matt Moran or you know or a Kylie Kwong and um, be an amazing chef because you might not have what it takes in a commercial kitchen or the ability to run a restaurant and run staff. So so we always caution some of our over-enthusiastic customers who we, you know, fear may not have the, have the wherewithal to go pro. Um, we encourage them to go to conferences, you know, spend days in the brewery um, because it's very different commercial brewing to having a having you know having fun in your garage I guess yeah and I think this is one of the things that um, people it, there's a real gap in kind of that leap is yep. it's scaling up isn't necessarily just buying 10 times no. more ingredients no no so that's can you talk true. a little bit about uh, how well, that, how that is difficult how scaling up is actually far much more involved you know for the home brewer who's making small batch really yep. good yeah 22 liters of sure you know, yep. gold yep and then the idea of making more is isn't just doing it 10 times bigger. yeah it's good good question involved. in so we do sell ingredients not only to home brewers but to australian craft brewers and um the common challenges we see with um uh, scaling up, uh, there's, a, there's a few of them. One of them is um, you need consistency of raw materials. So um, you might make an outstanding gold medal pilsner, um, but you've used rewaka hops or something, and um, if you know anything about hops, that it's one of the hardest to grow, it's one of the hardest to get. You probably can't produce on a commercial scale and get that consistently from your supplier. That's one issue. The other one is um, drinkers are relentless, and they so they should be with their feedback and their criticism. So when you brew a good batch at home, you brew, might brew that award-winning pilsner once. Can you brew that ten times in a row? So what the the craft brewers are really good at is they need to make sure they get consistent quality malt, cons- fresh hops, and they need to use a good commercial yeast, and then. Because the drinker expects, even though it's a full-flavoured beer, it to be like a McDonald's hamburger. They want to taste the, um, we've got some beers to drink today. You know, they want to taste, for example, that award-winning Pilsner um, at their local pub where it's fresh and on tap. And then they want to buy it at the bottle shop and they want to match those flavours together. And if the brewer has done something out the back and I ran out of this hop and I swapped it for that hop or um, I've swapped malt suppliers to cut cost all of a sudden the drinker will notice it and they can be quite damning uh, on social media, but worse than that, they just will stop buying your product and maybe won't recommend it forward. So, yeah, it's really important, I think, for any business thinking of going pro that they check their recipe formulations and then also that they are very good at making one beer consistently. Whereas I think home brewers have the joy that they could brew 50 different beers in a year. Um, but a commercial brewer might have to brew 50 consistent batches of that same beer. It's yeah. boring, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually what the, some of the commercial brewers will tell you. And uh, not that it's boring, but that it's um, that, that if you really love the creativity of doing a different 
dish every night or for the family or a different beer every week and you like diversity that un- you know unless you're running a brew pub you're going to find it tough and even if you are running a brew pub customers are going to start demanding you make their favorite beer over and over again so um that you know they just they just have to factor that into their their I guess, portfolio of products. So without giving any of your uh, chosen beers away, because we yep. are going to talk through the six beers sure. that changed everything in a moment, okay. uh, without giving any of them away, um, when did your beer journey start? And when did you know that kind of beer was going to be an important part of uh, your life? Yeah, good question. <laughs> I mean, I did start as a brewer, um, albeit at home, and playing around. And uh, we, we grew up in five acres in New Zealand, and we had an orchard, and I actually started playing around with apples and glass flagons and baker's yeast and making pretty god-awful cider um and then with some friends um we were slightly below legal drinking age i won't say how young we were we um got some malt extract kits and then we started boiling them up in pots and that and making beer and we could never understand why our beer tasted different to commercially available db draft or you know locally (laughs) joked about they call it lolly water you know it was very sweet Mass market beer tried to be sold to all of New Zealanders. Um, I think they, you know, a bit like a VB beer where over here it's hard earned first. Over there it was something like you've earned it. Um, sort of was the marketing slogans. And we would take it to parties and we would share it around and people go, well, that's strong tasting. We'd give it to people's fathers and that. And they'd go, that's different. Um, and, it, <laughs> and it was different. Um, but we were using extract, so we weren't getting a full all-grain mash. And uh, we were, the first batches were unclean, so they were probably infected. But by about the 10th or the 11th batch, we were making consistent beer, and it was America, where I, um, I was lucky enough, I was at university and went on a student work abroad program. And I remember, um, you know, we left the airport and... Auckland or Christchurch to go and landed in Los Angeles and um, of course it was Pilsners on the plane or whatever but I was lucky enough to go to um, a cross-country ski resort in the Sierra Nevada mountains and of course you know one of the beers on the list um, came from there and um, all of a sudden I started drinking the this was 1994 so the craft brewing revolution was just starting in America I started drinking these beers and I just about fell off my bar stool and said um, saying to myself my homebrew wasn't that bad. <laughs> Actually, it's flavour. That's what people were not getting, and that's what. And people were comparing our beer to, you know, consistent, clean, non-offensive, very. I would almost describe as bland uh, lagers, and uh, and and they was and these beers were full flavoured. Well, let's start talking about this beer yeah. journey then. Uh, okay. Choice one. Yeah, great. Well, um, I've sort of ordered them. Uh, in terms of um, like a tasting paddle, because I like your uh, podcast with uh, with uh, Cassie, I've actually put Duval as choice number one, um, the champagne of uh, beers, or the devil, as uh, it's nicknamed um, out in the industry. <laughs> and uh, Tell us about Duval. Duval. Why, why, why would it be possibly be called the devil? Yeah, well, that's a good question. <laughs> it's, it's heaven sent. Isn't yeah, it? that's right. Um, it's heaven sent, yeah. And um, it's dangerously drinkable, I guess, is this, the slang as well. So it's 8.5% and um, it drinks so clean and smooth and in balance like a really, really good um, lager. Um, and it's, you know, it's malt um oats wheat um i think it's also got those ingredients malted and unmalted um uh and i think it's affectionately referred to as the champagne of beers 
and um, it has flavour and character. It is so delicate. Um, I personally had quite a few of them in a jazz club and. Um, in Amsterdam for about five euros each and I think I had six of them and I was like oh, this jazz is so fantastic and as I walked out I was like oh the devil got me you know like uh, I'm sure there was no music on yeah. <laughs> there was music uh, but by the time yeah the, maybe the trip home there was a little bit of a buzz on but yeah I think that's a that's a an amazing craftly crafted beer and Duval Mortgard who own that brewery they're in partnership with um Firestone Walker are excellent brewers in America, and it's a family-owned brewery, and they've been making that beer that same way with quality and consistency for centuries. You know, and can you kind of remember the f- the first time you had, had a, a Duval? Duval yeah, that's a good question because I reckon the first time I would have had a Duval, the f- the I remember the drinking Duval fresh in, in in the Netherlands and thinking what an outstanding beer it was, and, and also buying a lot in the supermarket because it was like one euro fifty in the supermarket. But the first time I would have had it would not have been a good example. It was probably warm off a shelf in a bottle store either in New Zealand or Australia. I can't remember. So it wasn't a, the first drinking experience of Duval wasn't memorable. It was, um, I think, like a lot of beer, you have to get it uh, fresh or well looked after. And for one euro fifty. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a bonus. I did think uh, when I was travelling um, in Europe um, and the Netherlands is a great place, as is Germany and Belgium and and Britain as well, where you're from. The, the wonderful beers. We we are getting shanked so badly down here. It's just cruci- we are crucified with beer prices, which is a real shame. Um, where yeah. where do you kind of uh, we'll we'll delve into yeah. some politics uh, tax, very quickly, uh, yeah. but um, criminal. Minimum pricing, clearly in Europe, um, you know, you can yep. buy an 8.5% beer for, yes. you know, a euro 50 or two yep. euro. Yep. Um, yeah, you don't see drunk staggering around no. the streets. No, you no, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. Around, you know, um, leave my country out of this. True, yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> oh, well. the opposite is true. Oh, um, that's a good question that you actually hint on there, though, too, is um, I come from New Zealand and don't. We have our share of drinking problems there, as we do in Australia, South Africa, the UK, and um, I worked in licensed hospitality in the United Kingdom, and uh, albeit retail market, like licensed retail marketing, but I did serve behind the bar and that sort of thing. We have a problem in the Anglo-Saxon nations of binge drinking, and uh, you know I'm not proud to say when I grew up, um, either later high school or university, there was a lot of that going on. It was glorified in Europe. Uh, they have a much, much better, more responsible, safer approach to alcohol around consumption in a public space. So a courtyard um, overlooking a town square, always with food, uh, family occasions. And like you said, it, there might be a one pound euro, oh, sorry, one euro fifty a beer in the Netherlands, but it's readily available in the supermarket or whatever. And they'll do like swap a crate and you'll go to people's house and they'll always offer you a drink. But... It's never um, guzzling or trying to drink 24 bottles through a beer bong or something, you know. <laughs> so I think maybe that's something I think I'd like to think that we'll, we'll see more of that in Australia. And I think, to be honest, the craft brewing revolution helps that a lot because it's all about flavour and it's not about consumption for 
you know, getting drunk or falling down, yeah. And do you see that kind of, uh, when customers come along, one of the problems with um, making your own beer is yep. actually, um, you know, even if you're on a very small fermenter, you're making yep. kind of 20 litres of yep. beer. yeah. It's quite a lot for yourself, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, oh, look, I don't think that's a problem with the homebrew community. What you tend to find, that, that definitely there's a split in in the homebrew community between two types of brewers. There are those people who just want to brew cheap beer, and we don't basically we don't cater for them at Beerco because they sort of would probably buy extract kits or and from Woolworths or Big W or whatever, brew in a plastic bucket, um, and and maybe they're economically finding it difficult or or they just you know like to drink a lot of beer but most of our customers are actually the opposite they're more people who fall in love with craft beer or they fall in love with a beer that they've drunk overseas and they want to make it at home so it's a bit like if they were you know say that you're a foodie and you went to shannon bennett's food and you ate amazing dishes you spent heaps of money and then you were like i want to remake his deconstructed abc ghetto cake or his amazing uh pork belly fillet so we ha- we cater probably more to that latter group, and those people never have a problem with um, too much beer because they're usually very generous at giving it away, and uh, they always have a lot of friends <laughs> 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 who call in, <laughs> surprise, surprise, when the keg's on. So, um, yeah, I think it's like everything. Um, but it is, you touch on an important topic too, which is we need to be sensible, whether you're working in the brewing industry, on the supply side, in the breweries, in the bars, around consumption and watching out for yourself and for your friends that you don't, you know, because it's there and because it's readily available or because you can make it that you don't, you know, over-consume. Yeah, and the, we, we all have a responsibility yes, in, in exactly. the way we present beer and exactly. the way we conduct ourselves when consuming beer as well. Yeah, yep. Um, uh, hence why I do an audio format so nobody knows my face. Uh, <laughs> 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 so, um, choice two. Yes, uh, good ch- good question. So, choice two here I put um, Samuel Adams Boston Lager. And uh, when I mentioned that trip to the United States, I was still in the middle of my university studies. It was 1994. And I pretty much rotated between three beers regularly um, when I was working in the ski resort and Sam Adams Boston Lager was one of those beers. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't find uh, it for our podcast because we're at a highly reputable um, craft beer venue here in, in the Scray and um, and, I, and I love it to bits, Mr. West. And um, uh, Josh and Caleb who own this uh, bar are out and out proud independent craft beers so they don't stock Sam Adams because it's distributed by a, a large multinational. So um, I've bought instead something that I think is a great example, local example of a craft lager, which is um, Trailblazer by Two Birds Brewing. So maybe we can try that. Um, it's basically a lager with, with some flavour. <laughs> yes, so uh, I'm, I'm thrilled with uh, two things. Uh, Jane and uh, Danielle from Two Birds, who are legends in the Australian brewing industry, have um, signed up the Witten Oval, <laughs> so we can now get Trailblazer instead of VV and Carlton, and also their other wonderful beers. Um, and it, this is just a very nice, um, in-balance, clean, approachable craft um, lager. And I think, you know, we, we, we can, in the early craft Brewing days, people poo-pooed, uh, what do they call it, uh, fizzy yellow liquid, but at the end of the day, a well-made lager is still a, a, a very nice beer to drink. Yeah, because, uh, cheers. Cheers. Um, because it's, lager does come, come in for a bad rap. Mm. My kind of theory on it is that we all grew up on it. 
yes. the mainstream. Yeah. And so that taste takes us back to that bad stuff that we're trying to get away yeah. from. Yeah. Um, but we kind of need to divorce ourselves from True. that experience yep. to actually kind of fall in love with it Absolutely. for what it is and what a well-made style is. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about how, for a home brewer, yeah. is it more difficult to make a good lager than an, an ale and oh, why? Good question, Ian. <laughs> you know a lot about beer. Um, actually, it is. It's one of the harder styles because there's nowhere to hide um, for a home brewer or a pro brewer. And um, a little point to... Foot, uh, to prequel this, the reason we often don't like uh, mass commercial lager is it's fast lager. So I've worked for a large multinational uh, brewer, um, and they um, will do what's called fast brewing techniques, and they'll use adjunct like sugar, um, and they'll accelerate everything. But if you've ever tried a Pilsner Raquel or Star Pram, and that's been you know, cold lagered, stored cold for 42 days, and it's been made with all malt and Czech hops. Um, it's a beautiful beer. And for a home brewer, they have to be on point, like we were talking before about, like, using quality ingredients, having consistency and control on their brewing and fermentation process. And it's one of the styles, actually, a home brewer can often make better than a commercial brewer because two lager means to store cold. So now we're in cold weather in Melbourne, you could you could ferment a lager and, and then store it. And it'll be ready for the summer. Now, Crown Lager, yes. which is, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, arguably Australia's most prestigious yes, um, yes. lager for, yeah. for many, many reasons. But, you know, to, mm-hmm. to your average person, Crownies. That you're going to treat yourself at Christmas to a slab of Crown. Yes. Now, yep. they had that um, famous, infamous campaign where they said the fifth ingredient yes, is, is time. I know, yes. It's time and yeah. adjunct, and do you uh, sell it the, at Beerco? Yeah, no, no, no. No, yeah. <laughs> Well, time is um, the interesting thing. Uh, traditional brewing methods are all about time. So you don't need to use finings to clear a beer. Cold storage will do that. And uh, Matt at um, Osbury's News, I think, held the torch to the marketing team at CUB on Crown Lager. And to his credit, um, they responded to it. And also they got purchased by C.V. Miller, who are, you know, brewers, albeit not many people like them, Um and they restored the respect for the beer and, um, you know, got rid of the sugar and now it's 100% Victorian malt and um, and it's kettle hopped with pellets, whereas before they were using a summarised hop extract. So um, the the big brewers recognise that the consumer, they can't pull the wool over the consumer's eyes anymore. You've got people like Matt at Brews News, yourself running great podcasts like this, educating the consumers about and it's the same with winemaking. Went to a winery recently, Shadowfax Winery, and was close to Melbourne, and, and it was for Mother's Day and take, taking the darling wife there and some friends, and I was like, this wine is really good. And then I started chatting to the guy who was the winemaker. He was Anton from France, and he's behind the counter in the tasting, and then we're reading about the winemaking. It's all barrel fermented, no fast w- winemaking techniques, no wood chips. So time is a brewing necessity. You need to give time to your beer for it to be a particularly a lager so um and like we mentioned before they were using fast techniques and shortcuts and cost cutting and and uh the market caught up on them and is that something that when um somebody i know you said that most of your customers will have uh, a degree of education already but yes. do, do you yep. kind of get the wet behind the ears person who just kind of goes i want to brew beer any yes. beer yep. how do i do it and 
you yeah. know, where do I start? Yeah, good uh, question. What, what's the challenge with that? And um, how do you kind of, you know, you're explaining how long it's going to take, mm. the cleanliness, all of those things. It's, yeah. It's actually qu- it's quite There's a lot, lot to take in, isn't you're it? You're right. Everyone? You're right. There's a lot um, that goes into the brewing process. So I think we, we've seen... In the past, people used to start with extract kits. So, you know, the brewing was done for them. It was put in a can. Then they could just, you know, pour it into a clean fermenter with some hot water and then add some cold water and then put the yeast in ferment. Now, that doesn't make a good craft quality uh, tasting uh, beer. So you would need to go to either mini mashing on the stove with extract and grains or you go to all mash, all grain brewing uh, with a full mash. And that, like you mentioned, is not actually that easy to do. Um, you need to be shown how to do it. And we're not far from Grain and Grape. Um, home Brew Shop has been awarded many years running the best home brew shop in Australia. And they do a demonstration every Saturday. So I'd encourage listeners who um, want to know a bit more about the brewing process to go to one of those demos. It takes about four hours and they can have a beer while they're watching. Um, there is a lot of information out there on YouTube. I mean, you can learn anything on YouTube, um, open art surgery, but I don't recommend it. I'd probably recommend getting a book uh, called How to Brew by John Palmer and then doing what people are doing today. They're listening to our podcast, your podcast, listening to this, but they could listen to the Brewing Network um, or they could listen to a How to Brew podcast um, and they will very, yeah, the first batch might not be 10 out of 10, but they'll very quickly get there. Yeah, I think that's a big yeah. step, isn't it? It's actually just... Having a go, yes. like like you mentioned, the gra- grain and grape through yep. the fresh work kits, yep. and you can yep. just exactly throw it in, and and they're they're and great, yeah, they are excellent. And you can, you know, we're going to do more videos and more demos and get people out to our warehouse for learn to brew days or learn to brew afternoons. But at the moment, we're not set up for that. But what I would encourage people to do too is find a friend, or go, you know, even maybe use the Facebook, and say any friends out there who brew, and just go to their house and, and offer to help clean the equipment um obviously um you, you'll you'll get bring some beers with you or you'll get some beers at the end of the day but um that's also a good way because you know buying some of this equipment now the the excellent equipment out there for all grain brewing like the grandfather but it is over a thousand dollars so you don't just want to jump in and splash that cash um until you know you love it and you enjoy it um and there's a bit of work there there's sort of four or six hours for an all grain brew um but the rewards are worth it yeah most definitely yeah um, let's go for your yes. third choice. The third choice, yeah. So the third choice will keep hanging around in the America during that um, wonderful summer, or it was a winter over there, in the ski resorts, uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And um, um, unfortunately, the, the boys here at Inner West, uh, at Mr. West, have been cleaned out of uh, Sierra Nevada in the bottle shop. So I've bought um, an excellent local example, which is Akasha Pale Ale from... Dave uh, Padden and the team at Akasha Brewing in Sydney, and we'll we'll let you have a taste and, and see what you think. But um, the great thing about Sierra Nevada Pale Ale is it's very simple in its um, composition of malts. It's just basically two row ale malt and crystal malt, and it's only one hop, Cascade hop, um, which is the world's most commonly grown hop. And when this beer, you know, was first launched in America, it was you know one of the early pioneering. Um, craft beers and it was considered a, a hoppy beer at 45 international business units now it's you know considered very approachable uh, pale ale <laughs> well this beer has has come up time and again on the oh, podcast has it? that's interesting it, it is and it's um it's interesting that uh, um, you know yeah. a beer made so far away has had such an impact mm. and the 
you know, the stories from the early 80s, um, yep. which listeners who've listened to previous episodes will know this idea that Sierra Nevada, people were buying it in the US and tipping it down the sink because they thought there was something wrong with it. Or oh, wow. They, what, you know, That's tragic. It, you know, Why that, weren't they calling me? I would have drank it. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, you know, I suppose, like, we look back uh, at yeah. that happening. Yeah. But actually... You know, today there'll be people walking into a bottle shop Saturday true. night tonight, true. buying a beer yeah. and pouring it down a sink because they think there's something wrong with it. They think, uh, yeah. you know, it's how do we kind of how do you bridge that gap? You know, like yeah, in terms good of question. Education and well, I think the thing is that um, you know maybe we chat a little bit about this before we were setting up. Ian is um, beer is an incredibly broad canvas. And you don't have to like every beer, you know, even if you're a beer geek, you don't have to like everything from a light, delicate Berliner Weiss right through to a, you know, Russian Imperial Stout. There might be styles on that canvas that aren't suited to your palate. Um, and um, when you're serving beer, if you're a beer server or the guys here do tasting paddles, another reason to come to Mr. West, you can start with something light and delicate and work your way up a ladder. And people will find on that tasting paddle of six different beers, there might be four they really like, one they absolutely love and one they don't. And that's good. You know, because like you say, we need to keep pushing um, the flavour boundaries of beer. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you can by all means drink a beer, not like it, and still learn. Yes, you yes. Know, it's like the you know it's a it might feel like a mistake or yes. a wasted eight dollars or whatever it's cost you, but you do learn something, and yes. I certainly probably in my beer journey had beers maybe eight years ago, yep. which I didn't like at all. Revisited recently, and then I'm like, well, how did I never like it? You know, because you move on, and yeah, you know, yeah. It, yep. it's it's part of that journey. So our well, taste change as well, um, which is a good thing to note too. Ian, as we age, so. I did spend some time inside the big houses, um, both evil empires. Um, so I, I, I was ma- uh, marketing manager for Foster's for two and a half years and then went across to National Foods and got purchased by Lion. So I worked in the dairy business of Lion, but they do a lot of research, the big brewers. Um, and what's tradition? what typically happens is people enter the beer category and as um, teenagers, dare we say it, um, and traditionally, they started on things like cider, and then they needed a light lager, and then in they go. And then in your 20s, you start to drink a lot of beer, uh, vertical drinking in bars, and you um, socialise a lot with friends, and you can consume a lot, and you can bounce up and out of bed in the morning. But as you age, in your 30s, 40s, and 50s, you drink less because you're a family um, and that sort of thing. But also, your taste uh, for bitterness increases. So you, hence, you used to see... It used to be a light beer, sort of a journey, more full-flavoured beer, and then people would typically graduate out into uh, whiskies and um, uh, other spirits. Um, and they were very concerned with the rise of Alco Pops because teenagers were basically going from the soft drink machine to Alco Pops and then straight to spirits, and beer was missing out. So, um, you know, as... Um, you know, uh, the the brewing industry needs craft, not just the craft brewing industry, but the macro br- brewing industry needs craft to be successful to keep people in the category. Because mm. there's many different choices, uh, you know, for for enjoyment. 
Okay, so we're half at the halfway point. Uh, three down, now, three to go. Now at the uh, at the uh, near the end of the podcast, I'm going to ask you for your ultimate beer snack to accompany ah, these yes. uh, yep. beers, and also Brilliant. your um, receptacle to drink them out of. Great, uh, I've uh, tried to do food matching <laughs> for you. Yep. Oh, excellent! Yep. Uh, so um, let's go on to choice four. Great. Um, so this is one from your uh, great nation, uh, Fuller's London Pride ESB. Um, and perhaps like we were chatting a little bit before, um, I think the beauty of a good uh, English beer is that it, again, is subtle, delicate, malt, balanced, sessionable. And uh, the reason I put Fuller's London ESB, and it's readily available, um, and I've had plenty of bad examples that haven't travelled well, but um, I re- distinctly recall uh, it was like a cousin of mine, his 60th in England, and uh, we, we were living in England at the time, and he had gone to the brewery in Chiswick on the morning of his uh, birthday party at the house and had bought a, it looked like a wine cask. It was like a 20-litre uh, bladder um, of fresh London pride from the brewery, and it was just insanely beautiful and fresh, and I remember drinking that night, and and we, he was a mad keen runner and, and, and had some mates who were runners. And we got up the next day and went for a run. Everyone had clear heads. And, and I was just thinking, man, that beer was so good. Why was it so good? And he told me, you know, he got it fresh. So I think there's plenty of bad examples that have been aged bottles or, or the lines haven't been cleaned. But if you can get a good, fresh example of it, it's a wonderful beer. Now, um, how popular is those styles of, of beer? Because there are certain styles which are almost fall into that unfashionable category. Yeah, you know, from, in terms of your yeah. supply end, yeah, because there is that kind of um, yep. headline-grabbing kind of U.S. hops, yes. knock-you-out kind yes. of beers. Yep. Um, and I do kind of worry that those you know more traditional styles or those English styles, which are more subtle, more mellow, yeah. in terms of like providing... Ingredients, yeah, yeah ingredients. to people to, to brew with. Well, Roger um, at Beerco put down an ESB and on Thursday had some friends around to the house and uh, some of them were wine drinkers and it was universally hands down the beer that everyone liked the most. Um, he brewed a very good example of it. Um, we see in the home brewing community a lot of people like brewing ESBs because they do, like we're saying, those people who really like to brew um, beers for... Um, to emulate awesome styles, um, but in the commercial craft brewing industry, there um, are only a, f- a few locally that I can think of that are really good examples. So, like um, Hargrave Hills does an excellent New World ESB, and that was one we were going to look for downstairs in the bottle shop. Also, um, Four Pines do one, but yeah, you know, everyone does a pale ale, but not everyone does an ESB, and everyone seems to be doing an IPA or an IPA nowadays. <laughs> so you're right. This, but I think like beers come and go in terms of um, and styles. Like even the US craft brewing movement has reinvigorated a lot of styles that people weren't drinking. You know, sour beer styles, and um, and you'll get people who'll dig into the archives, like um, Pierre Ellis, who dug out the you know Hogarden, the Belgian wit, um, which had been buried for. Centuries, so don't fret. I think the ESB or the English bitter will come back and have its day. Um, yeah. Now, in terms of your supplying yep. a agricultural product, yes. Now we can often, in I think, in the, certainly my generation, maybe, yeah. can take for granted the consistency yes. and the availability of a agricultural product. Correct, but it, it's. 
delicate, isn't it? The yes. ecosystem around it. Yes. Um, what problems have you experienced kind of logistically, but also yep. in terms of, you know, you mentioned a bit before about some hops being very difficult to get a high yield and yes. things like that. Yes. Um, how, what, what has there been experience on your end in terms well, of Well, we've things? been lucky to have partnered for a long, long time with um, Gladfield Malt from New Zealand, and they are in the Canterbury region of New Zealand where they grow a lot of very excellent quality malting barley, and they have irrigation. So, But what we are starting to see um, this year, the New Zealand hop harvest, um, fortunately uh, they came in with a harvest, but they were absolutely pummeled with um, almost like hurricane-like, uh, floods and rains that were just out of control um, and um, you know hops have a short window to grow from September through to uh, March and um, the hop harvests in Europe have been affected quite dramatically by climate change so they've had a um, really bad harvest for SARS hop out of the Czech Republic and that area last year so um, the malting barley market's not so bad because barley's grown all around the world. Um, but, yeah, the I think the thing is that um, we can't take for granted the raw materials. And, um, yeah, there's no doubt that climate change is real, even if Trump doesn't want to believe it. And that can and will have an impact on the brewing industry. Um, but what we'll probably see is that there will... You know, as long as there's free flow of international trade, and as, and I think you'll see a movement towards really, really local, um, and then there'll also be people at the other end of the spectrum who need constant supply of ingredients and raw materials who will cleverly choose what, you know, hops to use in their beer styles and try and control inside the manufacturing process. But it's very hard to do that. But there is a case, isn't it, that um, the agricultural side could impact oh definitely and, most and definitely of, you know yeah most definitely like the dog absolutely most definitely and um i've often thought of if we use another analogy let's use coffee as an analogy melbourne's mad on their coffee everyone knows a good coffee from a bad coffee and it really comes from three things you've got a good bean a good machine and a good barista um now if the machine's out of whack and then you can scorch it and it's no good if the barista isn't trained you know they, um, they can they can ruin it whether they've got a good bean or a machine but if you've got a bad bean doesn't matter how good your machine and your uh, barista is you can't get a good coffee and that's the same with brewing you need good quality raw materials um, you can try and control inside the brewing process and you can have the best um, brewer in the world but if they were given poor quality bar- malting barley or or the hop harvest didn't come in they're not going to be able to produce you know an outstanding quality beer so um, there is beer is probably a very global market so for raw materials so you know if the Americans have a bad harvest you hope that the Europeans have a good one that sort of thing um, so we sort of tend to get there but we have seen certain things and hops in particular seem to be the one that people jump on it and they love a certain hop or they love a certain beer style and then everyone wants what they can't have like two years ago everyone wanted mosaic and citra hops they love their American big dank citrusy IPAs um, that's less of a problem now the Americans ramped up supply and now they've jumped to Nipahs or something but yeah we see a lot of people um, badgering us non-stop not just in Australia but around the world for certain ingredients now talking of that free-flowing international trade um, <laughs> you do supply products 
around the world? Uh, we've exported to a uh, number of nations because we're an um, online business. So we're e-commerce and uh, wholesale. And it's interesting, you know, like just like people are buying stuff on Amazon online and, and bringing it in from America and all of that sort of thing. We've even re-exported American hops back to America, which is most unusual. Um, but that's just uh, <laughs> the nature of the beast. And um, we tend to see people who are just fanatical about that. that I guess it's like, the internet's great in the sense that you can be into a niche hobby and then you're also in a global community. So we would get a brewer in Sweden reaching out for a particular type of a New Zealand hop, not in a big quantity, but just really wanting that or, or a home brewer in America wanting, a, you know, it's only 500 grams. But, um, and we've had people wanting yeast in India and we sort of see potential probably for Asia because obviously they can't grow malting barley and um, hops because of the climate. Um, and the growth of population and, and craft beer in that region. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we're all, we, we, we take a global perspective, albeit an Australian-based business. Yeah, by a, yeah, by a New Zealander. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, choice five. Choice five. Okay, great. Well, this one I had, um, it's a, it was a limited rare breed release from Mountain Goat called the India Red Ale, um, and... That's no longer available in the marketplace. So when I was down in the bottle shop downstairs in, um, uh, with Caleb, a uh, wonderful man here at uh, Mr. West, we found um, a, a gold medal example of the style, which is called the Buzz, um, American Red IPA from, from Sam and Duncan and the team at Hop Nation down in uh, Footscray. So tell us first about the Mountain Goat beer. Yes. Um, so and why I chose that. Yeah, well, that that, that one, I, I wouldn't say I had a hand in it, but I was helping uh, Doug from Gladfield Malt, who supplied uh, one of the key malts going into that uh, beer. And um, it was designed and uh, prototyped heavily, about 26 different versions of were prototyped in the brewery uh, by uh, Dave Edney, who was the head brewer at the time, and he's now works for Hot Products Australia. And uh, the India Red Ale, or the Red... IPA was just starting to become a thing in uh, the United States, and um, uh, Mountain Goat was, uh, it still is, a very experimental brewery and loves looking at new raw materials and things like that, so um, when we met with them, Doug and myself from Gladfield Malt, um, Dave uh, Benighton, who's the co-founder at the time, um, said, look, we'd like to try your malts, we'll give them a go, we'd like to give them a go in one of our rare breeds, and that's a great way for them to try new raw materials. And so um, I think the first batch they did was 2,500 litres, and Dave Edney um, wasn't happy with the colour, so he threw a bag of midnight wheat in to try and uh, darken it up, and... um, Doug from Gladfield Malt was not happy because that wasn't his malt. So Doug worked overtime um, at the maltings to create a brand new malt called Shepherd's Delight. Um, it's still one of their best-selling malts and a very, very unique malt. Um, and that's that, like we're talking about, the skill of the brewer and the skill of the maltster. So we actually recorded a YouTube. It's out there somewhere. You can Google it. Uh, three blokes talk about beer and malt. So, yeah, so this is a, a style of beer that... Um, uh, is now quite commonly and widely available. Um, but the reason I appreciate it is um, Doug was telling me, and Dave was also saying as a brewer, incredibly hard to make a red malt and incredibly hard to um, also um, make a red colour beer. That said, yeah, clearly hops are 
the they steal the show. Yes, generally. Yes, he, all the buzz is about hops. People yes. talk about hop chasing. Yes. What about the poor malt? You know, malt oh, right. is so malt is so. <laughs> Im- it's kind of like the, right. the boring brother. Oh, you, kind of, you can't, it, you, can't so make, you can't make a beer without malt. I've never been. You have a taste of this beer from um, Sam and Duncan. I'm pretty sure they use Gladfield malt, and I'm not sure if they've got Shepherd's Delight in it, but they've got the beautiful red colour and. Um, if you're brewing a beer with um, a heavy hop hit um, and a full hop flavour, you need specialty malts that will sit underneath it. It's a bit like I describe it as um, craft beers. The malt should be like the Cadillac. You know, you're cruising down the road, um, and then you can have the screaming guitars and all the noise and that. But without that, like the bass in the band, without good specialty malts and good full rounded flavour. Um, It'll be all out of balance. Um, it'll just be like, you know, enamel stripping and uh, resin all around your mouth. And the Americans do like, uh, particularly on the West Coast, they like that very light, subtle, delicate malt and then pump on the hops. But now we've seen a switch to this sort of, what would we call it, East Coast, uh, New England style. And that's more around malt balance, malt character, rounded mouthfeel. Well, in a previous episode... Um Colby Chandler from Ballast Point, obviously, who oh, he's a known, yes. known for yeah. Sculpin, which yes. is, and yes. uh, Big Eye, and those massive yeah. hoppy beers. Yes. He was saying that it's going to be malt that's going to yes. be the star of the show, and it's you, good that's, call. people are going to be chasing the different speciality malts. Yeah, it's and good maybe call. given the process that it takes yep. as, a, as a maltster, yes. um, it's, it's a wonder why. We're ignorant to it, really. And That's that, true. And we don't give it as much kind of um, praise. Yeah. Well, as it if deserves. you ever want another, um, uh, you know, audience, we could send you to Doug or Gabby from Gladfield Malt. Gabby's a good brewer, and um, she loves malt and talks about it as well. But um, you're right because with malt, you steep the barley and then you germinate it, and then you can kiln it or roast it. And Doug's done all sorts of tricks with this malt. Um, you know, he's experimented with the malting process and very, and he's used time and, and slow roasting and things like that. So Kobe's on the money there. They, because what the craft brewers are looking for, like, it's a very crowded market. So in America, there's 7,000 breweries here with 500 plus. The drinker is promiscuous. So they're going up, coming into... Mr. West Bottle Shop and saying, what's new, Caleb? What do you got this week? What can I try? So the craft brewers, well, they're wonderful to, 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 to supply to because they're saying, Do what new hop, what new malt, what's coming out? Um, and Gabby at Gladfield, she's on it. She's like released a crystal rye, uh, chocolate rye, a specialty, like, almost like the brewers release special things. And then she's like, on, oh, then I'll release a next one next quarter and then I'll release another one. But they're not permanent malts. They're in for a short period of time. Get them while you can, fresh, friable, make a crazy beer style. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, we'll see that experimentation of malt. And the this one that we're trying now, which is the Hop Nation. Mm. Um, the, buzz. the Buzz. This won a gold medal at the Australian International Brewing Awards this year, so it um, speaks for itself. It is sensational. <laughs> it's yeah, 2,000 two entries from around the world and across the whole lot of categories but yeah sam and duncan are very good brewers and they're actually trained winemakers which is not uncommon as well ben at bridge roads a trained winemaker so yeah and there are stones jane away at two birds oh, yeah yeah, oh, yeah, so yeah jane yeah. is wine yeah well, i used yeah. to live at uh, hop nation uh when they first opened <laughs> i was so excited <laughs> to have a brewery that close <laughs> it is it's really you know if we're talking about kind of global beers and yeah and there's beers on your list that are international yeah. but there's something really special and satisfying of drinking a beer which is 
this local. Oh, I know. It's, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's a special time to be um, a brewer and a drinker um, because, you know, it doesn't matter what part of Melbourne you're living in. You mentioned you were in uh, Northcote recently and Tallboy and Moose, and um, I ran into someone, and I, he's living just around the corner, and, and I was like, have you been to Tallboy and Moose? No. Have you been to Three Ravens? No. Get in there. Do yourself a favour. You know, uh, it's just fun, so fantastic. You could be living in the southeast corridor and go to... Um, boat rocker, you know, and have amazing sours, or or you could even live in. Who would have thought Carrum Downs? You could get good beer. You go and see Dan at Dainton. I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's every wonder- suburb getting their own brewery. Wonderful time to be alive. Yeah. So um. <laughs> not wrong there. <laughs> so uh, choice six, which um, we couldn't get downstairs, and I think we would have fallen off our perch if we got stuck into this one. Um, it's Pelican Brewing Company, which is um, they have a. a a beer called Mother of All Storms, and it's an English barley wine, um, and it's barrel-aged. Um, Caleb did have a barley wine in the fridges downstairs, um, an American barley wine. And um, the reason I chose this beer, it's sort of, um, I guess it's what, when you're pushing beer and what you're pushing what people think of beer, you wouldn't think of the word wine, but this was barrel-aged, incredible malt um, intensity and flavour, and so much dynamic activity happening in a glass and um, I was lucky enough to steward at the Australian International Beer Awards in 2012 and they give the stewards um, for every day you work they give you a box of beer and this Pelican Brewery I'd never heard of them before and they have a brew pub in Pacific City um, Oregon and um, Darren Welch the head brewer he's an ex-home brewer he's been the head brewer for 22 years they're the most awarded, one of the most awarded craft breweries in the world. And every beer you would steward out from the back to the judges, they would taste them blind. You could see what they were. And, of course, we were all out the back. And I was like, oh, this Pelican Quinta Cream Ale, it's outstanding. Oh, this Pelican this, it's outstanding. And and then I was lucky enough to get a bottle of the uh, barley wine because they might send four or five bottles for the competition and they might only use two. So they would give them to the stewards. And I remember drinking it on the night of my 40th birthday and my... Uh, one of my mates who was a groomsman at my wedding was down from Sydney and my little brother was down. I remember pouring it out and we had three equal glasses of it. I thought, we'll sip and savour this before we go to the pub for the party or whatever. I turned around and my little youngest brother had sculled the whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what have you done, Rory? And he's like, oh, that's got a lot going on in that glass. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so we were just talking before about how do you teach people to appreciate uh, good beer. He needed an education. He's since had one, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's. I guess if you were to think of local examples of um, similar beers, there are becoming more of them. You know, maybe we mentioned Matt at Boat Rocker. He does amazing Imperial Stouts, or or the guys at. Uh, I think he does a Banshee Barley Wine. Mountain Goat do seasonal rare releases. So those are the sort of beers you would, I guess, finish the night or finish a meal with, or an aperitif. But sharing beers, yeah. Now of those beers, there's quite a good selection of styles and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and different nations as well yes, yes um, yep. now is what would be your top one out of those oh gosh now you now you're making, forcing me to uh, if you could just drink one for the rest of your life which would it be yeah good question um it's probably going to be a toss-up between sam adams boston lager and sierra nevada pale um because if you think, I mean, it's interesting, and then we're going back to sessionability, because if you just think, I was joking with someone, I was, you know, as a, as a home brewer and, and, and a person working in the industry, I've always got some beer in the fridge. But 
what do you think when I open the door if I'm like, oh, I'm out of beer like I was on Thursday, or I had to go to Coles and buy some beer, and I rarely ever do have to do that. What do you think when I open the fridge and there's beer in there that that that's always in there, and you're like, but I've got people coming, or it's sours and imperial stouts. So whilst they make the list of <laughs> with the beer geeks, they're not the session beers. So, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the middle of winter or, or the middle of summer, you can still have a Boston Lager or a Sierra Nevada Pale, and they're still going to taste good after you mowed the lawn or, or painted the house or finished doing some work at your computer, whereas you're not necessarily going to rip into a mother of all storms in 40 degrees heat in Melbourne. So I, can't, I don't know if I can vote to, to, to split hairs, but, um, and then if I was forced at a choice, probably because it's got a little bit more character, Sierra Nevada Pale. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about um, your beer snack. Oh, uh, yes. Well, what I did, I don't know if I went one over or because I'm no, no, no I, I, I put one for each one. So oh, fantastic. For Duval, Duval, I would suggest a cheese board, and I'd suggest, like, uh, you know, some... Um, uh, Dutch Gouda or um, biting English cheddar or um, soft ripened white cheeses rather than a blue. For Sam Adams, um, and I think we could put this for Sierra Nevada Pale as well, you know, good old chicken wings um, or fried chicken or, and it could be spicy or whatever. For Fuller's London Pride, I think you've got to go a pie um, or, or a good um, English roast, you know, like you would get at the pub. That would just be divine. Um, for Mountain Goat India Red Ale or the Buzz like we drank here, um, maybe whack it next to a curry because it's got enough molten hop that it can 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 fight with a curry. Um, and then if you're drinking an English barley wine, barrel aged, mother of all storms or something similar, um, it's got to be a rich chocolate pud. Nice. I think I think that's one thing too we can do. Like we were talking before about the European culture and we, we've got to get into that beer matching and food matching. And pairing and things. Yeah, and celebrate yeah. it a bit more yeah. and make yeah. it a bit more accessible. Exactly. Because mm. certainly I think one of the, particularly you mentioned about sour beers, yes. I think one of the failings is that, you know, sour beers clearly go better with food. They do. They oh, they're beautiful. The exactly. So they're but fantastic like that. Kind of walk into a bar and get a pint of a sour beer. You're <laughs> not going to, are you? Not no. going to appreciate no. it. No. So, no, good call. Um, now, uh, receptacle to consume these beers. Uh, good call. So, um I had taken pictures of them, which I can send them to you, and you can put them on the um, on the uh, website afterwards. Um, for Duval, we've got to go with the traditional Belgian goblet. Um, you know, the beautiful one I've taken a picture, I think, of it was a left goblet. Um, for the Sam Adams Boston Lager, I put the Stella Artois glass, you know, that with a stem, so you just don't cool it down. Um, for the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, I put the... Beerco tumbler, you know, like which is, I'll send you a picture. Um, and for Fuller's London Pride, I put the the long tall pint, you know, like the um, classic sort of British pint. Uh, for the Mountain Goat India Red Ale or the Buzz, um, I would suggest uh, the Sierra Nevada IPA glass. And for the Mother of All Storms, I've got like a, oh, it's a Spiegelau uh, glass that is, you know, the craft beer glass. But I think. Your question's a good one, Ian. Every beer actually needs a different glass to bring it out. Um, and so if you had to just choose one glass? Oh, good question. I'd have to go with the Beerco Tumbler, which is a sham glass from Germany. And the reason I'd say that is it's just one of these glasses that's thick and sturdy. It's not big. It's like um, uh, 300 mils, and it um, has a nice thick stem, but it opens up gradually and it's something you could serve multiple styles of beer in so i guess it would be a bit like 
bit like the sort of schooner p- glasses that we've seen a lot of bars. So Durable and functional. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a winner in hospitality. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, even at home too, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when you get in the mound and oh, you got friends around and you're worried the, <laughs> the kids yeah. are running around. You mentioned you got young children like me and. <laughs> Don't knock yeah. over the Spiegelau glass. Yeah, if you buy Spiegelau, the yeah. key is is not to have any friends. Covered only in. So, um, Beer Co., mm. who's it for? Who should, who sh- who's your customer? Oh, who yes. should come along? Why would they come and yes, um, visit the shop and, and all that sort of thing? Yeah, good or question. Shop online. Yeah, so. Um, and what can they get? What can they get? Well, I guess they can get everything they need to brew beer. Um, and and would suggest you have a look at the website, beerco.com.au. Um, if you're looking for a, 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 if you see something you like and you want a, a, a discount on your first purchase, use the coupon code beer. Very hard to remember. You'll get 10% <laughs> off all products in the shop. Um, we are always open off my phone numbers up there, my email address. Um, if you come through as a private number, I might think you're spam. So use, um, but we're always happy to talk to customers and newbies to brewing. Um, if you haven't brewed before, I recommend go back to that. Um, either approach your local craft brewer or your friends on Facebook and find someone who's brewing um, because we're probably not set up. We are a warehouse, not set up really to, to do the demos just yet. Um, pop in and see John and the team at Grain and Grape. Um, if you want to watch a brewing process and and see what 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 it involves, but we're probably at the pointy end of brewing, so we're people who love craft beer and want to emulate that and brew that at home. Um, and we've got a very extensive blog with recipes. We also have all grain kits, so we'll send you the malt, the hops, and the yeast in a box, ready to brew a batch of beer. But you have to have the equipment to do that. And like I mentioned, the uh, grain father is about a thousand dollars. So. Um, by all means, come and see us, at, or, or give us a call, or drop us an email. But um, my my suggestion is keep listening to your podcast, get it, keep getting into the beer industry, and then um, brew with a friend, um, and then you'll find us. You'll hear about us. Yeah, we're, we're very active in the home brewing circle, and uh, we'll be more active in the craft brewing circle going forward. And the warehouse is in Keylor? Keylor East, yes. Yeah. So we're in an industrial estate. Um, there's a lot of chop shops around uh, where we are. Um, so you can get your uh, car lowered and fats and uh, mags. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, we run on limited trading hours. We're not so much a shop front. Like we mentioned, we're more of a wholesale warehouse and uh, an e-commerce. So, um, you know, don't expect a shop. But by all means, if you want to pop in and say hi, uh, we're there and our contact us details and the hours and that sort of thing. I think there'll be a lot of people wanting to uh, to meet you, Dermot. Yes. And, um, oh, well, the other place they should come to if they're interested in brewing, which I, sh- I neglect to mention, sorry, Ian, um, is the Australian National Home Brewers Conference. So go to anhc.com.au. You don't have to be a home brewer, but if you want to learn more about brewing at home, it is outstanding. We've got some amazing guests coming. I hope I'm not letting the cat out of the bag um, too early, but... Um, uh, Soren from Eight Wide is coming over from New Zealand. They have international guests every year. They'll have a guest from Europe, a guest from um, uh, US. Um, the pro brewers will often tell you the home brewing conferences are uh, more interesting from a brewing perspective than the professional brewing conferences because the professional brewing conferences, rightly so, have to be focused on health and safety, legal compliance, all that sort of thing that you need to run a business, whereas the home brewing conferences, we have international highly credentialed brewers talking to you about how to make amazing beers. They had Mitch Steele two years ago. So that's happening this year in Melbourne. 
last weekend of October, anhc.com.au, and we'll be there. We'll have a stand in the trade hall, and uh, they can certainly come and see me, and uh, we'll have a beer together. Definitely. That sounds like great fun, and um, <laughs> thanks so much for sharing your knowledge, Dermot. Oh, any time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ian, for the opportunity. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure, and thanks for taking us on that beer journey as well, and uh, sharing. It's been it's Saturday night, so I feel it's okay to share <laughs> some beers um, in in Mr. West. In in probably is this, this one of Melbourne's most sophisticated bars? It's, I think it was in Broadsheet, one of the top ten bars in uh, Melbourne, and uh, Caleb and. Um, Baker and Josh Hodges are no slugs in hospitality. So um, Josh used to work for Feral as the Victoria rep. Um, he, he was very sad to have to leave them after Coca-Cola bought them. They are that passionate. Um, and um, Caleb's worked at Cookie and places like that. But, yeah, they're, they're young, progressive. Um, they're certainly a breath of fresh air into Footscray. And excellent, excellent uh, beer, wine, spirits list. And downstairs you've got the bottle shop. And this is the other thing I love what the guys do. You can buy a beer downstairs, any beer in the fridges, and bring it up here for $4 corkage. Wow. And you can get your Uber Eats, your... Uh, you know, you can have any of your pick of any of the amazing restaurants in Footscray and you're going to be eating Chinese or Vietnamese, whatever you like, um, and, and enjoying a good beer in this fantastic venue. I think you've got to be careful, Dermot, because they might give you a job. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're normally kicking me out at the end of the night. No, no, but no, it's a, it's a wonderful venue and it, yeah. it's, a, it's actually really refreshing to have uh, bar staff who are willing to engage and passionate oh, about yeah. the product that they're selling doesn't matter whether they're selling fire extinguishers or That's whether they're true. selling beer, but if the passion is about it, I'm ready to listen. So. Oh, Luke was Luke was excellent. He just sat down before we started and had a big chat, and we were talking about the Cicerone program, and he knew it inside out. So, I mean, these guys are very serious. The guys and girls who work here are very serious about the craft, and, uh, and they just love nothing more than bringing people into beer, yeah. into the world of beer. Mm. Fantastic. Well, lovely, Dermot, to meet you and lovely to uh, take take us through your, your six beers that changed everything. And, yes, um, any time, yeah. No, it's been lots of fun. So I'm going to let you... It, we've got a big game tonight, haven't we? We have uh, All Blacks France. And all you know the French can beat the All Blacks. They've <laughs> 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 beaten us before. They have got a chance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks, Ian. You have a wonderful evening. Yeah, thanks, Dermot. So that was it. Dermot Dowling. From Beer Co., thanks so much to Josh and Caleb for letting us use Mr. West to record in. If you haven't been to the bar, I think Dermot sold it pretty well. And thanks so much to those of you who have reviewed the show on iTunes, who have spoken kindly about it on Facebook, and who are obviously sharing it with your friends, because I can see that more people are jumping on board. It's really nice that, as I'm doing this venture on my own, that it's great to have the support and feedback as well so thanks so much for that uh keep it going a great beer journey again join us next time on the chosen brew for another belting beer journey in the meantime enjoy some russian imperial stouts while the soccer world cups on and i'll speak to you next time